0: More at Fidelity.com slash wealth. Investment minimums apply. Fidelity Brokerage Services, LLC. Member NYSE SIPC. Welcome to the Jill on Money Show. It's Sunday, February 4th, and we're so happy you joined us because you're probably getting psyched for the Grammys tonight. Maybe you're not. But anyway... It's a whole week before the Super Bowl, so you better pace yourself. Today we are airing the second part of my appearance on Ask the Compound. Again, the co-hosts of that show are Ben Carlson and Duncan Hill from Ritholtz Wealth Management. So do check out the YouTube channel for the Compound because that's where not only does our show live, Jill on Money, powered by the Compound. This show is there, and there's all sorts of other content you might want to check out, especially if you're fans of YouTube. And I like YouTube, so. I would encourage you to do that. Okay, so we start with a question about Roths. All
1: right, up next, we have a question from Kevin. I keep hearing about contributing to a Roth IRA, doing a backdoor Roth, yada, yada. (laughs) If I'm someone making over $200,000, not to brag, and maxing out my 401k with catch-up contributions, what can I really do with a Roth? Are there income limitations? I'm getting closer to retirement. Does that mean it's not worth it? All the talking heads throw out Roths, but never seem to mention the limitations or caveats. Uh, what are your thoughts?
2: Do you think it matters how close you are to retirement and also your income? And the, the way I'm looking at this is, I like to keep things as simple as possible. Do you think it's worth the pain of going through that for someone, uh, especially when they're close to retirement and they have a high income? What say you on this? Because there, there are obviously a lot, a lot of people who say, "Listen, the Roth is one of the best deals you can get because it just that also
0: simplifies your life." Well, okay, a few things. I am all I love a Roth. I really do. A couple things to just keep in mind. You're in the $200,000 income earner. That's great. Yeah, you can't put you can't have a contribution to a Roth IRA. You'll start to income above that. But so many places have Roth retirement options and that's one possibility. Number 2, when you have a Roth, you're locking in your tax liability over decades. I don't know what's going to happen in two years. We have two years until income tax brackets are supposed to sunset to, bef- to where they were in 2017, which is higher where they are now. So some people would rather say, I don't care if I'm in a higher tax bracket now or if I'm close to retirement. I'd rather put new money into Roth because I know that I've risked int- that tax brackets are going to rise. And here's the thing that's really tricky when you are putting money that's all traditional, you will be forced to take that money out in the future through required minimum distributions. Remember, Uncle Sam hasn't been paid yet. So when you're 72, 3, 4, 5, it'll be 75 if you're somebody who's younger now, the government's going to say, you've got to take a certain percentage of that money out every single year from your traditional retirement account. And that amount of money may be much bigger than you imagine. And that adds to your taxable income. That can screw with how much you pay for Medicare. That can pop you into new tax brackets and you've got no control over it. So a few things to keep in mind. We, I need to know so many more details about you. I'd love to walk you through this. Maybe it isn't the best time for you to put money into a Roth, but maybe if you're going to retire, maybe there should be a strategy for starting to pull money out of your pre-tax retirement accounts. While your income is as low as possible, so maybe when you're sixty to sixty-five, you start dribbling money out. You pay the tax that's due. You know what that tax is, and maybe when you can, maybe you're going to collect Social Security at age seventy. So you keep doing it. But this is all part of an overall strategy, and that withdrawal strategy has a lot of risk because we have no idea where tax rates are going to go three decades into the future. And that's okay.
2: why you want to be diverse. so. That's why you want to have some Roth assets so you can be diversified. So you have some Roth assets. You can play with the social security, but when you take it, and you also have the traditional assets. I agree that the Roth four hundred one k is the easiest option because that also gives you a bigger limit to contribute.
1: This is probably a dumb question, but the Roth Roth four hundred one k does not have income limit. Nope.
0: no limit. Okay, okay, no limit at all. And, and by, by the an way,
1: IRA for a Roth IRA, it's one hundred sixty one thousand. I think I know. Yeah, is that right? I don't, know. I don't have something my tax like table with me, okay. but
0: something like that. Yeah. And and you know the thing is. At the beginning, no, very few companies were offering it. Now it's almost like pretty yeah. standard. You know, you can go in and bug your boss and be like, hey, we need a Roth option because they want it too. Yes.
2: Okay. All right. We have three more little hard, faster hitting lightning round questions. Let's do it, Duncan.
1: Okay. So, up next, we have a question from Sam. It seems like there are two simple methods for rebalancing your portfolio into your chosen allocation, either selling more appreciated assets and buying less appreciated ones at some regular regular frequency, or adding new funds to your existing assets to bring them into alignment. Is there a clear benefit to either of these methods?
2: I guess it depends what kind of retirement accounts you're using or brokerage accounts, if you're using taxable or Mm non-taxable. Uh, it's harder to automate if you're trying to use new contributions, but I think there's fewer tax consequences as well. That's the trade-off.
0: Yeah. I, and, and that's, that's a hundred percent spot on. And by the way, I think that this idea of like rebalancing got a little bit of, um, uh, got a pop in, uh, the headlines. It was, I think it was the wall street journal, which was like, oh, we ran a, a thing and you should be rebalancing more. We can't get people to rebalance once a year. So thanks wall street journal. Like, you know, you can tell us monthly, but it's not happening. So um, whatever way makes sense, and of course, rebalancing in a non in a non retirement account can really hook you on taxes. So just be careful.
2: Yeah, so that's where you probably want to use the contributions and and yep. let your yeah have some bands around it or something. But yeah, that's both ways is probably easier. All right, next one, Duncan.
1: All hey, right, up next, this is from Nick. Very simple question for you guys: Is VT the Vanguard Total World Stock Index ETF the perfect equity investment? <laughs> Uh, it is global and market cap weighted. So do you really need any other equity investments besides this?
2: I only have two questions for this. Could you do better than the World Stock Market Index Fund? Yes. Could you do worse? Definitely. <laughs> That's kind of where I on this.
0: Yeah. I mean, look, I am all into like simplicity. We got a call yesterday when we were doing Jill on Money Powered by the Compound where somebody was like having 18 different um, exchange-traded funds. Like, oh my God, that's way too much and you don't have to go there. But, you know, honestly, um, it's hard to do much. It, you're not going to do too much damage to yourself. So uh, it, it, the more choice you have, sometimes it's not good. So it may not be perfect, but if my alternative is uh you're going to start picking stocks and trying to figure out the top and bottom of markets then yeah I'm going there.
2: Exactly. It's better than most anything else you can do. Right.
0: Yeah, I was kind of I was getting a little nervous yesterday when you and Mark
1: were going on about people having too many, you know, stocks and things because I've got a lot. I've got a lot.
0: <laughs> no, yeah. you're doing it for fun.
1: <laughs> yeah, it's true. It's not not my not my retirement. Yeah, but it account. hasn't
2: been very much fun for him lately. <laughs> It's, it's true. It's a warning uh, yeah, experience. More. It's a warning yeah, experience.
1: There you go. Okay, Paying so, that tuition
2: to the market gods.
1: Right. Last but not least, we have a question from Michael. My wife and I are early on in our careers and starting to think about the next stages of life for our family. How does uh, the recommended percentage of income spent on a house change for individuals early in their career, particularly those starting families when considering a long-term forever home as opposed to a starter home? For instance, if the general advice is to spend 35% of after-tax income on housing— what could this percentage increase to for a forever home? I didn't well, know there pers- was a difference here, so I'm curious to hear what you guys have to well, say.
2: Well, I don't know. I—that That is kind of a rule of thumb. You spend 30 to 35% on housing. Obviously, the two biggest expenses for most people are housing and transportation. Those are the big fixed expenses. But I think when you have kids, you can add in childcare costs to that, mm. although that hopefully is only going to be there for a few years. I think a lot of it just depends on like where you live and how flexible your lifestyle is and your career potential. Because the great thing about a 30-year fixed-rate mortgage is you can... Grow into that payment over time, hopefully, or make right. it easier to stomach. Um, but how much do you want to push to get into this this great house while you have childcare costs potentially coming in? That's a that's a tough question.
0: Yeah, and what it does to be in that house, and what other types of investing, retirement, college funding, what's going to take a hit because more of that money is going into your home. You know, I found it really interesting. um, I'm sure you saw this um, recently in the Times. They did a big piece about how maybe buying a house is a really bad bet right now. And it was interesting in that, you know, there are so many places where it's so, so, so expensive. Like you're going to spend 60% of your take home. You know, they're just not going to do it. But when you're on the bubble, what I think there's a few things to remember. One is you know, where is that flexibility going to come from? Do I want to have more flexibility and have access to my money, put money in 529, put money in retirement, or do I really want to be locked down and be in a house that I love and I feel good about it? And yes, maybe I'm a first year surgeon. And then 10 years from now, I know my income's going to go up. I think that Ben, that's a fantastic point. Like, what does your career look like? Like I'm in media, people are all like, oh crap, I'm never going to make, I like peaked on my income five years ago. Like it's all going down. So what's interesting interesting is you have to be really honest with yourselves and be willing to sit out a little bit and be patient because in many places renting is a much better alternative especially right now
2: yeah and the, but the fact that this person has already thought through the percentage of their income that's going to housing tells me that they're they've thought about this so they're not just getting into it willy-nilly so I think that's yeah. that's a good first step that they're actually figuring out how much it's going to impact their budget
0: yeah in I, this and this great
1: In this market, are there really even starter homes anymore? Or has it kind of just collapsed what we would have called a starter home into just every other home?
0: You know what it is? I think it's like you go to other places, right? So, you know, uh, if I'm going to look at the suburbs, maybe I go to the exurbs. And now that things have shifted a little bit, or if I'm looking in a city— And I say, you know what? I can rent and I can be in the city and rent longer because there's a bigger amount of housing stocked for rental. But if you live in a place where there just isn't a lot of inventory, you're kind of screwed. So it may be that buying a home will be your best bet. Get your mortgage and know that you'll be able to refinance. You know, I don't know. Ben, what was your mortgage rate when you first bought your home?
2: I did. We bought our first one in 2007. So it was six and a quarter.
0: Not bad, right? That's like now-ish.
2: Yeah. And then got to three in the pandemic, which was obviously good timing. But yeah. And the the point back then, we didn't worry about rates as much because prices were so much lower. But yeah, I, th- I think when you buy that first one, you you do stretch a little bit and then you, and then you try to grow into it. I think that's the idea for most people. You just want to make sure you're not stretching a lot, especially with a kid on the way.
0: Right. Especially when you feel like, oh, there are a lot of other things that I, ha- I have to be looking at ahead of me. So but I, I love the idea that somebody's like really running the numbers, which is great, which is like half the battle. Run the numbers. And don't just buy a house because some donkey lender will give you the money to do it. It has yes. to work in your yes. budget. We'll give it you all the way up to this point.
2: That's, that is the thing. People say, we'll give you from this po- amount to this amount. And people always go to the highest amount and say, OK, there's our budget.
0: Yeah. Right? No, don't do yes. that. If you have a question and you would like to join us on our show, Jill on Money Powered by the Compound, make sure you go to our website, JillOnMoney.com and click the contact us button and check the box that says you would be willing to come on via video. That's how you can join us. So we appreciate you. And we always encourage you to check out all the content that lives on our website, jillonmoney.com. Put your hands metaphorically on someone's back, change your work, change your wealth, change your life. Thank you for listening. And we'll talk to you tomorrow.